Good morning. Thank you guys for your time. If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles um, to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be picking up where Jim left us off last week. Um, but before we get to those verses, I want to look, look back real, really briefly um, to remember that the first chapter of Colossians and the first few verses of chapter 2 are, are serving as the introduction of the letter. Um, that it is a, a long but, but vital portion that is going to give us motivation for the, the actions, the commands that are going to follow after it. And so it's important for us to understand that as, as believers, motive is everything. Motivation for what we do matters greatly. Any efforts that we, we have to produce something of value are only as good as the motives that are behind them. That's because the heart matters for the Christian. It's not just what we do outwardly, but how we view those actions inwardly. Um, we, have an, we have numerous examples in Scripture. Ask Ananias and Sapphira, those who, those who tried and outwardly did something that, that looked good. They donated a lot of money uh, to ministry, and yet the, the result was that they were struck down. Why? Because they had poor motives. They were greedy. They were, they were selfish. And so before uh, we, we go into something that's going to cost us something that, that takes energy or effort, we always want to know the answer to the question, why, right? Even from a, a young age, we, we always want to ask that question, why? And then once we know the purpose, then we can weigh whether or not it's worth our efforts. Well, the first part of Colossians gives a worthy motive. It gives a worthy motivation for what we're going to do that what is going to be instructed from verse 6 into chapter 4 can be accomplished because of the reasons given in chapter 1 specifically just for a quick reminder looking back at verse 15 through 20 he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on the cross or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So, so Christ, in his fullness, in his absolute authority as a true and full person of the Godhead, that is our motive. If our actions lead to something uh, that is sinful, we can, we can trace those actions all the way back to a motive that is not Christ. If it's not God and his glory, it will ultimately lead to sin. And that's why we can't grow tired of hearing of the supremacy of Christ. That can't become old news to the Christian. We can't grow tired of hearing what he has done for us because it's those reminders that pull us back into what should be the, the daily default for the Christian, and that is to live for Christ and his glory. So, so remember that as we, as we jump into these next few verses, and it's in that light that we look at 
Colossians 2, verses 6 through 10. Christ is supreme, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So, in verse 6, we're, we're given yet another. He kind of continues and transitions here by giving a reminder of why we do what we do. But then he launches into how we do it. What does it look like to be walking in the Lord? And he gives four characteristics in verse 7. Four characteristics of what it looks like for the Christian to walk in the Lord. The first of the four is the foundation. Okay, like we sang about earlier, it is to be rooted in Him. We have this familiar illustration of a, of a plant, a tree, and its roots being established and providing the support, providing the, the foundation for the rest of the growth. With that picture, we have images of security, right? Of, of being set, of not being easily swayed either by difficulties or, or by false teachings. That's going to come into play even more when we get to verse 8 and then, and then further in Colossians. Um, that that this, this being rooted in Christ will be a great defense against the false doctrines that are, that are around the church here and around us today. So as, as a believer, we can have full assurance that our, our roots are stable because they are in Christ. Because of chapter 1, we can have confidence in our foundation. And what that means for us is that there's little to be concerned about in this lifetime. There's, there's little to have anxiety or stress or worry about in this lifetime. Because if we compare those things that we, we fear, those intimidating circumstances that come on us, to the power and the love of our Lord, they, they diminish. They, they shrink. When you look at it in those, in those terms, those things begin to fade away. I don't know how many of you remember, or for those of you who haven't gone through it yet, how many of you remember being in high school? Do you remember the kind of things that you worried about when you were in high school? Maybe I was the only one, but, but you wanted to be, what? You wanted to be impressive. You wanted to be cool. You wanted to wear the right clothes, drive the right car. You wanted a certain girl to like you, a certain boy to like you, right? You, you, were, you were concerned about those things. Those things were your world. You stressed about them. And yet, as you grow older, learn something here, students. As you grow older, you begin to see those things don't, don't hold the value they thought they did. In fact, they don't matter at all, right? If you, if you even stay in contact with those people, um, it certainly doesn't matter what, what they think of you or if they're impressed by you. You begin to look at the bigger picture, right? You, you have a family now, and you, you care about them. You have uh, a career, a way to provide for your family. You have a church family. You begin to care about things that are of greater value than that. Well, the same is true for the Christian. The more we mature in our faith, the more we understand our being rooted in Christ, we worry about different things. We worry less about the things of the world because those, they become smaller. We can, we can leave the, the job interview in peace because 
we know that our faith is in an unshakable Christ. Right? We can go to the doctor uh, with confidence knowing that the Lord is sovereign over all things and he will work all things out for the good of those who love him. And, and please know that I, I'm using the word worry, anxiety, stress. I'm, I'm not using the words pain and difficulty. Right? Knowing and understanding your foundation in Christ does not make those things easier. It doesn't make them less painful. I'm, I'm not suggesting that. It simply means that, that we get to worry about them less because no matter how hard the wind blows, how many storms come, we will not be moved. We cannot be uprooted if we are in Christ. And what I'm suggesting is, is not easy. I'm not, I'm not throwing stones at anybody who is, who is right now in a, in a season of turmoil or seen as in difficulty because they've, they're struggling with, with whatever circumstance may be there. I, I struggle with that as well. But what I am suggesting is that the Bible encourages us to look at those things in light of Christ. Look at those things in light of our foundation in Him and be encouraged. Let that anxiety fade away. Jeremiah gives a, a, a blessing in chapter 17 Verse 8, he says, he, the, the man who is trusting in the Lord, he is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. We are to be like that tree, trusting that we will not cease to bear fruit because we are in Christ. So that's the, that's the first characteristic that we see in verse 7. The second is just, just a continuation. All of these are going to be a continuation on each other. The next one is that of growth. It's the idea of being built up, as it says specifically. The, the metaphor here changes uh, to, to more of a, this idea of a construction project. Right? Once you have the foundation, the foundation exists to be built upon for, for things to go on, on top of it. So once they're established, once those roots are established, then growth becomes possible. And here the believers are given this measure of continual improvement, to continual growth in our faith. It's recognizing the truth that, is, that as sinners, we'll, we'll never be where we want to be, right? We'll, we'll certainly never be where we should be, right? That, that we are not a, uh, we're not a finished project, that there is work to be done, we'll never arrive until the time of glorification. But that's not a reason to, to roll over and, and quit. That's, that's not a throw up your hands moment. That is a, because of Christ and because of who he is, I'm going to strive every day to be more like him. We're still under construction. We need to, we need to grow in our faith. We need to have a greater heart for the lost. We need to be more generous. And, and the list can go on and on and on. But what we're hoping for is that we be more like Christ tomorrow than we are today and next year than we were this year. And I'm not saying that's not going to be a straight line, right? It's, it's going to have its up and downs. But the goal is to continue to be more and more like Christ, to be built up in him. And for us, that takes effort. That takes fighting. That takes strain and endurance. Hebrews 12, 1 it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. 
Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we are to recognize our foundation, our roots in Christ. And then we are to be built up in him as a result of that foundation. And then the third characteristic is the idea of of strengthening, of being strengthened in our faith or being established in our faith. Some of the other uh, alternative Alternate translations could be uh, confirmed or sustained, right? It's this idea that as we look at the previous two, our faith gets stronger. We are are more conditioned in our our faith to act accordingly. This is is similar to uh, the idea of of conditioning in in exercise. One of the uh, the examples I I thought of is, uh, ironically, every, every now and then I... I like to exercise, <laughs> and, and, and the, the one thing that has come up uh, in previous years from time to time is a, is a certain running program, right? It's, it's called Couch to 5K. I don't know if you know what that is. Um, you'll, you'll understand why it appeals to me, because it takes someone, essentially, who is sitting on the couch, right, who hasn't been running at all, isn't, isn't geared up or strengthened at all, and then uh, week after week, it increases the amount you run, so you, you go out and you, and you run for so many seconds, and then you walk for so many seconds, and then run and walk, run and walk. And then in week two, you run for a little bit longer, and you walk for a little bit less. On and on and on, until in, in week nine, eight or nine, you, you can run a 5K, or you can run 30 minutes at a time uh, without, without stopping, without breaking. Well, for the Christian, that, there, there's a similar idea there, that the more we practice our faith, the more conditioned we are to look at opportunities and circumstances around us and see them as opportunities to worship. That, that, we, that we respond in a way that is, that is consistent with what the Word says. Why? Because we're conditioned in the Word. Because we've, we've read it. We've been built up in it. We're stronger. We're not as defeated by circumstances of the world as we would have been had, had we not been practicing those things, had we not been involved in those things. And so we are looking to face the challenges uh, from, a, from a point of being stronger, of being established, of being confirmed in the faith. And that, that brings up a, an important point that I, want to, that I want to look back on the previous uh, three characteristics and, and point out before we move on to the fourth and that is that all three of these previous points have been written in the passive voice. I've been taking grammar lessons from Owen. <laughs> and what the, passive voice, what the passive voice means is essentially that you are not the one performing these actions. Right? So, so all morning long, I have been encouraging you to pursue these things. But we also need to understand that we are not the ones who get the credit for these things, that God is the one who's doing the work of us being rooted, of us growing and being built up, of us being strengthened. Okay, we look to understand or to improve our understanding of these characteristics, not so that we can white-knuckle, willpower our way into, into having more of them. Right? We, we do it to understand just how unbelievably reliant we are on God and His power. So that when the, when the storm comes, when the difficulty comes, we drop to our knees before we gear up for battle. 
right? It, it, we, we don't take internal inventory and, and try to decide and get ourselves built up so that we can take care of whatever's about to happen. It's we recognize from the very beginning that we don't have any ability to handle what's about to happen, but that God does. God in his strength and his power and his love can, can handle whatever comes our way and that he is, he is with us. He says, I will be your God. You will be my people. That is, that is who is with us in those times of difficulty. And so we don't get the credit for it. I'm, I'm not a good golfer. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, that's, a, that's an understatement. I don't think I've ever worn football cleats to the, to the, golf, uh, <laughs> to the golf course. Sorry, Jim. Uh, but, but definitely, I'm, I'm not good, right? And um, I'll never forget the first time I, I was invited to do any kind of organized golf competition. It was not a big deal. It was a fundraiser. You know, nobody really cared. But it was my first summer interning with Jaron. And, and Jaron invited me to come play in the scramble. And uh, scramble has four, four teammates. And it was Jaron, uh, Mike Booth, and, and Cody Pogue. And I don't know if you know anything about those other three guys, but they know their way around a golf club. Uh, I, I was not the ringer that day. And how a scramble works is all four of you hit, hit the ball, right? You all hit the ball, and then you pick the best one, and then all four of you hit from that one. Essentially, it's kind of merging all of you into the best, into the best shots of your team, and you take that score. Now, what that means for the guy who is not a good golfer is that nobody looked at my shots that day and said, let's use that one. Okay, I, I didn't, they let me, the, the only thing I got to do is I got to putt first. That was not because they thought I was going to make the putt. That was so that they could watch my ball and see where the slants on the green were. Somebody with better talent could come in and actually use that information for a purpose. Okay, it was, it was not a good day. I tried, but, but it was not a good day. But when we got finished that day and we, we got to the end, we, we went back and we turned in our score and they wrote our score on the scoreboard. My name was up there next to the score along with the rest of our team, right? I, I didn't have anything to do with our score. I, I brought no value to the, to the team whatsoever, and yet my name still went to the scoreboard. In a sense, that's, that's how this works, right? That when we stand in front of, of God in judgment, he looks at us and he sees perfection, not because of us, but because of what Christ has done in us, that he gets the credit. So in the same way, as you see your faith grow, you, you get stronger, you get more mature, uh, you handle situations better. It's because of Christ and his work in you, not your own ability. So we're to, we're to fight, we're to, we're to be active, we're to try in these characteristics and try to, try to mimic what it looks like to walk in the Lord, but always remember that you are dependent on his strength and not on your own. Isaiah gives a word highlighting this to, to the Israelites, a word from the Lord. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We are upheld by God. We are on the passive side of these three things, and so we're to keep that in mind. And once we, once we understand that, that reliance, it's naturally going to produce the fourth characteristic, and that is gratefulness. That is abounding in thankfulness. This is, 
This is strong language that he uses here. Abounding in thankfulness. Overflowing with thankfulness. It's not some casual thank you that you, that you mention for a, a small favor. This is a, this is a kind of thankfulness that works on you, that sits on you, that you should meditate and think on. And it requires, for us to do that, to have this kind of thankfulness, it requires a couple of things. Number one, we have to, we have to understand and, and remember what it is that we have been saved from. This requires thinking on our sinfulness, our sins in the past, our sinful nature, being aware of what that costs. That, that that leads to death, that we can truly understand the context of our salvation. We can't understand our salvation if we don't understand first what we have been saved from. And then the next, the other part of that is, is then allowing us to remember what it was that Christ then had to pay so that we wouldn't have to. Right, on a, on a very small scale, if someone brings you a meal your gratefulness is tied into your understanding of the time, the effort, and the money that, that went into providing that for you. Well, our gratefulness to the Lord is tied into our understanding of what he went through to provide it for us. And that's, that's going to require time. That is not something that, that can be done quickly or with little thought. It requires meditation of, of thinking about your sin in, in, in silence thinking about your sin and then thinking about the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ and allowing that thankfulness that gratefulness to overwhelm you to come over you it is then that we can truly have this this idea of, of abounding in our thankfulness and that and that thankfulness leads to even more strength like I said these are all these are all building on one another. It, it, it leads to more of an ability to view our life from the perspective that God wants us to and to respond in situations as he would have us to. One commentary worded it this way. said, those who bubble over with gratitude for what God has already done are not easy prey to anxiety and doubt. They have no need or desire to look for fulfillment elsewhere and cannot be taken in by false promises or shaken by bigoted detractors. So if we have that gratitude in the Lord, that anxiety, that doubt slips away because again, we're always comparing it to the bigger picture. We're comparing it to what God has done. We're comparing it to his ability and who he is, which we established in chapter one. And that idea of not being taken by false promises or shaken by bigoted detractors, that leads us into verse 8. If you'll look at what it says there, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So, so Paul here is getting to the reason for writing the letter, that he had, he had heard report of some false teaching in or, or around the church. And what he wants to do is he wants to warn them or encourage them away from that false teaching. And it, it's important to understand when he uses the word philosophy here, he's not, he, he's not talking about philosophy in general, right? He's not talking about the, the entire subject of philosophy. He's being specific. 
He's, he's talking about a specific philosophy. In fact, the Greek still includes an article there that it could almost be translated the philosophy. So, so it's clear he's talking about one thing in particular, and he'll, he'll give more on that later as, as Jaron and Owen share with us about those later passages. But here he gives two main components that I want us to be aware of about this false teaching. Number one is that it's intentional. The first is that it will be the intent of the false teacher to come after you. Right? He uses this, this word captive. That's a, that's a strong word. That's a violent word communicating a forceful kidnapping away from where you should be to, to somewhere that you should not be. The goal is to pull you away and force you into something that is not Christ. He even personalizes the warning. He, he says, no one should take you captive. He's describing a, a person who has it in mind to pull you away from what you have been taught as, as right, as, as correct from the word. And, th- and this is a little bit different. I mean, a lot of our sins and, and actions of sin come from within, right? They're, they're kind of built up by our own greed or our own selfishness, our own lust and pride. But, but here we're talking about sinfulness that, that are led by others, that someone comes in seeking to bring us down, seeking to bring you away from the Lord. Right? The story of the, an example is the story of the foolish young man in, in Proverbs 7 who is led by the woman to his doom. Right? That, that's the same kind of picture here, is that we are not to be led away by false teaching to what would certainly be our doom. And so we should be aware of this. This is, this is a threat that has not only existed in this church in this time, but it, it exists now. Right? It, it's, it's all around us. Right? It's, it's in your, your co-workers. It's in the bookstore. It's in media that's out there. It, it's, it's all around. There's no specific place. And it's, and it's never going to be obvious. Right? It's never going to be clear. They're not all marked with a, with a red sticker so you know what's good and, and what's bad. They're going to be, in fact, usually the most dangerous ones, they're going to be close. They're going to be right enough. They're, they're going to be close enough to, to get you in the door and then lure you into what is a, the second characteristic of the false teaching, and that is away from Christ. That is the next thing. It's intentional, but it's also always going to lead you away from Christ. He, he brings up the theme of, of false teaching by saying it will be according to tradition made by man. The, the human tradition that he's, he's referring to probably refers to those who are advocating certain old traditions, um, whether they be uh, dietary restrictions or uh, Sabbath practices, and I'll, I'll let the other guys get into those uh, a little bit later. And then he also deals with the elemental spirits of the world. This this could mean a couple of different things. It, it could possibly mean uh, he's addressing those who saw their lives being influenced and manipulated by uh, by spirits, by angels and demons, however that may work out. And, and, and what he's talking about is appealing to them, appealing to those lesser beings um, for, for favor. And so, um, but, but it's clear that regardless of what the specifics are, what he really wants to communicate is that these false teachings will take you away from Christ. They will suggest something, and that is that you need more. That more is required. 
Christ is not enough. That you need to observe these rituals. You need to appeal to these lesser beings. Christ has not made you complete. And ultimately, that's what Colossians is, is, is doing. Is it's meant to illustrate that, that any teaching that points away from Christ is empty deceit. It's hollow. There is no truth there. It holds no real value. Only those teachings that lead to and depend fully on Christ are worth following. And so then, as we, as we look at the last two verses with that understanding, we, we see him do what we should do. His first response to the, the concept of false teaching is to again point out who Christ is. He attempts to leave no doubt that Christ is supreme, that he is all-sufficient in his nature and in his work. So in verse 9, he gives a a shortened version of what we read earlier in chapter 1, but really no less potent in its meaning. He says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Think about that sentence for a minute. The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. There's no, there's no way to, to speak more highly of someone's value than that statement right there. It doesn't, it doesn't get any higher. right? He is God. Christ is God. And if what you have is the action of God, you need no more. It, it doesn't require Christ plus you. Christ plus your efforts. It, is, it has been done. If he's dealing with the idea of, of angels and demons, he's pointing out that, that Christ is much greater than them. In fact, they are nothing compared to Christ in his work. They, they hold no value. He's even a little repetitive in, in how he words it. It's not necessary to say whole and fullness, right? But he is making a strong point. Let there be no doubt what he is expressing here, that Christ is God and in that he is sufficient and then in verse 10 we get we get our assurance not because of us but because of who he is it says and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority so so we have been filled by a man whose whose the whole fullness of deity dwells that is That is all we need. There cannot possibly be more. And he uses these words, fullness and filled, most likely to address uh, or even to mock the false teaching, right? Because they were using those words of being filled and being full. They're, They're using that terminology. And he essentially, he flips it on them and uses it to point out the fullness of Christ and his work. One translation that, that is here uh, in the NASB says that we have been made complete. It's finished. The work is done. So earlier, yes, I, I mentioned that we are, we are a work in progress. So we're to be growing. We're to be sanctified continually. But as far as the work of Christ and what he has done, he's done it all. There is no more required. And for the believer who, who puts his faith in, in Christ, there is no more encouraging thing than that. If that's not true, we can't sleep at night. If that's not true, what are we even doing here? 
No, this is an encouraging word. It's one we, like I said earlier, we can't grow tired of hearing. God is not waiting for us to prove ourselves to Him. He has already seen the proof. It happened on the cross. It happened in Christ. So let that be the thought that that leads us to thankfulness. Let that be the thought that leads us into understanding what we are rooted in, what we are built up in, and let it strengthen our faith. Here in a second, I'm going to pray, and and David is going to come and and play a song. And what I want us to do in in this time of of response is is to dwell on these things, to think on our faith. Remember where it's rooted. Remember what Christ has done for you, that our faith might be strengthened. Sing, sing the song. The song speaks well of where our faith lies in the Christian walk. Stay at your seat and, and pray. Come down here and, and pray. Whatever it is you need to do, but spend some time understanding where your faith is and what the Lord can do to grow it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the opportunity we have to sit beneath your throne and and make much of you. I thank you for brothers and sisters who are like-minded and like-hearted that we would pursue after you together as a family, as a body. God, I pray that you would remind us of our foundation, that when we are tempted to stress or have anxiety or worry, that you would remind us of who you are, that you are unshakable, that you are a foundation that cannot be moven. God, I, I pray that you would um, be with us in, in this time as a, as a body, that we would respond to your word as you would have us. God, we love you, and we thank you ultimately for why we can sit here, and it's the work of your son and what he did for us on the cross. In his name we pray. Amen.